Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiring Brains Podcast. This is Nick Thielen, uh, episode 13 here. And I'm just catching up. I took a bit of a break just to catch up and refocus on things. I was actually volunteering for some events here in town. I was doing some comedy and uh, catching some sun. Good old Alberta sun here. So I'm excited to kind of get back into the podcast and I'll get you... Uh, some of the content that I know um, has been missing and stuff. Uh, I decided to split this one into two episodes because um, my guest for this week, Chris Gaskin, who I met at a uh, comedy festival in Calgary, uh, is a great guy. We uh, ended up having, I think, about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minute conversation. And I just figured it was best to split that up into two parts. So... Yeah, that's what I decided to do. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going to be sharing a clip here from some of Chris's comedy. Um, But if you want to check out more about Chris, you can check out chrisgaskin.net. Gaskin is G-A-S-K-I-N. And so that's chrisgaskin.net. You can also go on Spotify and check out his comedy special, Cobb or his comedy CD called Lam- Lambda Male, and uh, that is kind of exactly how it sounds. So lamb is in um, sheep lamb, L-A-M-B-D-A-M-A-L-E. So that's two words, Lambda Male. And uh, check that out. You can also get some of uh, Chris's uh old podcasts on there on his website and you can also check out his upcoming shows stuff like that as far as for me for upcoming shows i'm going to be doing a comedy contest in calgary tomorrow at blind beggar pub and i'm going to be doing a um, family friendly clean show here in red deer on august 9th uh that's gonna be a a clean show and then an open mic to follow. That's on August 9th, and it'll be 7 o'clock start for that one. And then a sort of a special show. August 22nd, I'm going to be doing a podcast interview and then followed by a set uh, opening for Matt Billen, who's a great guy who I really kind of looked up to in terms of sending him some of my comedy and getting feedback. Uh, Matt's really been touring all over the world. Uh, recently came back uh, from uh, performing in the Middle East and a uh, really great dude. Uh, Matt's performed with people like uh, Doug Stanhope uh, so and Mike McDonald as well. So it'll be cool to maybe have some Mike McDonald stories to, to share. So... <laughs> Excited to see what that'll be like. That's at the Laugh Shop on Blackfoot Trail Southeast in Calgary. And Matt will be there for the weekend from August 22nd to 24th. I'm going to be doing that one show with him. And uh, then going to be having a uh, podcast chat with him. So it'll be cool. But um, before that, let's get you to part one of my two-part conversation with Chris Gaskin. Um, thanks so much to Chris for being on the show, an awesome dude, and, uh, I think we really have, uh, built a 
friendship that's going to last a while, and I expect us to be doing some more shows in the future, so, um, wish this guy all the best, and, uh, and he's going to be recording a second album soon, so, wish him all the best with that project, and, uh, uh, you guys stay tuned for all the content that's coming up. Uh, you can go to um, Inspiring Brains Facebook page and uh, like the page, stay on top of it all. Or you can go to uh, Spotify to check out uh, past episodes, all that stuff. If you have suggestions for the podcast, uh, just leave them in the comments and I'll reply to them all. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. I really appreciate your support. And we'll see you for the next one. All right, let's talk about how young I look and get that shit out of the way first, I think. <laughs> 29 and I've yet to hit puberty. Ain't that a bitch? I just, every night of my life is like a New Year's Eve party, you know? Just waiting for my balls to drop. <laughs> so every time I'm at a club, there's always some guy like, uh, do you have a seventh piece of ID? <laughs> The worst thing is when people find out I'm 29, what they like to say is some dumb stuff to me. Like, oh, you know, looking young is great. Really? You ever been pulled over by the cops just because it's past 8.30? (laughs) I don't have a license. I was just walking down the street. (laughs) Like whenever you go to a restaurant, do they give you a cup of crayons all the time? Ask you if you want a pirate pack, huh? It's hard to find a woman when, you know, being this height. I'm like the byproduct of shitty people breeding, you know what I mean? It's, it's like they found each other and they had sex and then six months later, ta-da! I like the slow applause because that means there's a good percent of the audience that's like, that, that doesn't make any sense. That's, it takes nine months to make a baby. If you were six months, you'd be prima. Oh no, that's a good joke. I got, I got it. I got. It. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the, the Inspiring Blaine's podcast with Nick Thielen. Uh, my guest today is comedian Chris, uh, Chris Gaskin from Vancouver. A little bit about Chris. Uh, Chris is inhaled. Uh, Chris has been featured in Brielle magazine and called the uh, baby-faced assassin. Uh, and he's one of the fast Canada's, fast, <laughs> Canada's fastest rising comedians, uh, commanding attention with his brutally honest and hysterical comedy. Uh, <clears throat> he grew up in a small town with a single mother and a congenital heart, dis- heart condition, which was a gold mine of material. And then he moved to Vancouver... BC, where he tried his first spot at the Kino Cafe. After that, he was hooked. Since then, he's been a finalist on several national comedy competitions, including Sirius XM's Next Top Comic. He's been on uh, the show Stand Up and Bite Me on Bite TV uh, on Sirius XM, and he also has uh, a debut comedy album called Ramba Mayo, and uh, he's also performed with some of the biggest names in comedy, including Emo Phillips, Godfrey, and TJ Miller, and is one of Canada's most quickly rising comics and a force to be reckoned with. 
He's been doing comedy for 11 years and still going strong. How are you doing today, Chris? I see so you really just read the entire bio. I'm good. I'm a good. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with intros, as I told you. It's kind of my... Honestly, I just kind of like going into the whole chat thing, but... Dude, uh, you, you could have just know. said, this is... Uh, my guest is Chris. I, I met him at a comedy festival, and uh, I decided to have him on the show. That's all, Absolutely. You, that's all you really needed to say. I guess, but I, I feel like that wouldn't quite do it justice, but I am happy to have you on today. Um, no, I'm, I'm honored that you asked me to come on. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to ask you a little bit about is, uh, like it, it talks about it a little bit in, in, your, in your bio there, um, but you've been doing stand-up for 11 years, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about what it was like uh, for you the first time you performed. and. Uh, uh, what are your memories of that, and um, what 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 stands out for you about that, and, and what what makes it that you've been doing it for eleven years now? I I I mean, so I've I've told this story uh, uh, so many times at so many different instances. Uh, my mm -hmm. first time on stage was actually, let's see, uh, uh, so it was probably close to like fourteen years ago. Um, just because, like, I don't consider myself doing comedy until I moved to Vancouver. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up in Prince George, so for the first few years, I was doing sets, I don't know, maybe once or twice uh, a year. Okay. So, so it's like I wasn't doing comedy. I was, you know, I was talking at small crowds trying to even figure out and then realistically like my first like i i consider my start of comedy um when i moved to prince george but even from then it was like my first few years was just figuring it out was that in like comedy clubs or was that more like backyard barbecues or wherever people would have you or was that like a yuck yucks events or those sorts of so in, in Prince George, it was basically like, at the time, we used to have a comedy club, and then the whole building that it was in ended up burning down before I graduated from high school. Okay. And, and that was, I think that was like a, a monthly Yuck Yucks gig, maybe, or, or it might have even been weekly at the time. Mm -hmm. And... It, it's something that I kind of always wanted to do in high school. Like I, I took an acting class and, and then I wanted, I realized during the acting class, my favorite parts were when we would do improv and I just like, like improvisational games, more or less like working, a, you know, like here's, here's a couple props, do something with it. That's not like, here's a shoe. It's not a shoe for you, though. You know what I mean? And, and I would just use that as an opportunity to try and make everyone in the class laugh. So I, I guess, like, comedy was kind of what I just gravitated to. But basically, like, at the time, there was nothing. So after I did my first set, all of the shows that I did, outside of maybe two of them, or uh, probably three... I was the one who put all of them together. 
Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we rang at uh, a friend's bar a couple times. Uh, we rang at this little place called Art Space, which still exists. It's above a business called Books and Company. It's like a little black box theater. And uh, that's where I ended up recording my album, like, I guess it's five or six years ago now. Yeah. I was just listening to a little bit of it earlier, yeah. Uh, a couple years ago, yeah. But um, when... When for you, like, was it when, when you moved to Vancouver that um, obviously at that point you'd become more serious about it, but what was the first um, first time for you where you were like, okay, I think maybe I've, I've got something here or people are enjoying what I'm talking about. It's not just like me, uh, you know, um, spouting some words on stage or saying some things on stage and seeing what happens. What, what was the first time where you thought maybe like maybe this can become something more than just me? Um, you know? So that that would actually just be my first time on stage, like realistically. Mm -hmm. uh, so what had happened? I was I was coming out of high school uh, with zero direction whatsoever. I I didn't want to do like post secondary. I didn't want to go to college because I had no idea really what I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And, and we had this, I'm, I'm sure there's like you, you live in Red Deer, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, but, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> so I don't, okay, but I don't know that town outside of like when I used to be in pro wrestling, I, I worked a couple shows in that town. But I don't know it outside of like, I don't know if you guys have like a yearly fair or or whatever. Like I know Calgary's got like the stampede and that's huge. And like there, you know, there's stuff like that. So I living in Vancouver, there's like the PNE in Prince George. There's the BCNE, the British Columbia Northern Exhibition. Uh, and it used to be called the PGX, the Prince George Exhibition. You know, they'd have like fair rides and, and a grandstand for like bands to play and and then like you know some livestock that the a petting zoo for the kids like livestock that they put badges on for some like i don't know yeah that sheep's fur is better than that sheep's i guess <laughs> i don't know like how you I mean, we have that. a similar thing but it's like it's probably just like three or four days yeah, I mean that's that's what the BCNE uh, back in the day called the PGX was like. It was it was over one weekend, and they had uh, a booth in Pine Center Mall, which is Prince George's like biggest indoor shopping center. They had a booth set up where you could sign up for certain things. So there was like a competition for kids called PGX Survivor. There was like competition uh, called PGX Idol. And then there was like, you could sign up and audition to perform on the main stage. And that's what I, I did. I, my friend dared me to sign up as a comedian. So I, I signed up and then I got called up to do this audition. So I went to this little music shop and it was three people, two people that worked for the PGX and the guy who owned the music shop were just standing there and they were like, all right, do your thing. So I, at the time had 
one bit and and the joke was about how uh i went to disneyland when i was 16 and because i'm short the only ride i could go on was it's a small world yeah. and and thing i just explain about how awful it's a small world is as a ride mm-hmm. and and i joke it was you know probably three four minutes and and they really liked it and they were laughing and they were like you're you're fine you're good you know so like how much time could you do and i said you know probably like 15 to 20 i didn't know i had two minutes maybe um i i was like you know you put me wherever you could put me in between bands like i didn't i didn't know i didn't know that's like the worst spot for a comedian like like everything that could be cool that I could have suggested that I do, I did in that moment. And they said, cool, uh, we'll be in touch with you. And then I didn't hear from them until like a week before the PGX. I get a phone call and it's this lady and she goes, can I speak with Chris? And I go, you're talking to him. And she goes, did you audition to perform at the PGX? And I said, yes, I did. And she said, did you still want to perform at the PGX? And I was like, of course I do. And she said, okay, be at the main stage on Saturday at this time. And I was like, cool, I will be there. And I said, is there anything else I should know? And she said, yes, good luck in the PGX Idol. And then she hung up. And so I was basically part of a singing competition And the way that it was grouped is it was like kids under 12, uh, teenagers, like 13 to 18, and then adults, 19 plus. And I ended up uh, winning my group just by, I did five minutes of comedy and I basically ad-libbed about how I was a comedian and everyone else was singing And then I told my joke and got off the stage and it like it, it went well, like as well as it could go at a fair where you could hear like fair rides and that, but I could hear like the laughter coming back. Yeah. And then a great spot to do it, you know, just because people who aren't necessarily expecting comedy would be there to see what it is and enjoy it. Right. I mean, really though, it's also the worst spot to do it because there's so many distractions and and comedy is such an, even, even on a grand stage, it's still such an intimate art form that like, you know, you need to draw people in. And I ended up making the finals. And then what they did during the finals is they grouped the two kids from the youngest group, two kids from the oldest group and two adults, and then just had the final six perform. And then uh, I decided to do all different material and i just bombed so bad mm-hmm. and and i i realized like it was the best of both worlds in that the first set went well the second set was the exact opposite and i realized well if that's the worst this is something that i can do but you know as i was on stage getting laughs like i i've never really felt more at home than like when I'm in that moment. Mm-hmm. So before I get too far into that, and 
ask you more about your stand-up. I know you you quick you quickly referenced there that you were um, you did some wrestling stuff uh, way back or a couple years ago. Uh, so I I that was in between. Let's see, two thousand and one to twenty eleven. I was involved in pro wrestling for multiple different companies uh, around the Pacific Northwest, uh, mostly refereeing. Some they'd actually let me be a manager, and then they would question why anyone would have me referee with what I could do as a manager. And it's I would only do that because I was never actually medically cleared to be a wrestler because of my heart defect. But it, you know, it was always something that I was super into, and and it's it's again, it's a it's a it's an odd art in that like a lot of people look at it as it's trashy and this, but it, it's like to me, it's it's one of the greatest art forms because like you'll you could have people eating out of the palm of your hand, like watching someone get a crowd so riled up. Like, I know stories of guys that I know back in the day were like, they'd go out, cut a promo, and then, like, they couldn't get home because someone slashed their tires. Like, that's how much they riled up the audience. Oh, yeah, so it, it's like that, that I did for about a decade, and then I was working with a company that creatively I, I just felt I was in a rut with them and, and things just come, they came to a head at this one show where I, I actually got into quite an argument uh, with the guy who ran the company over something that he wanted me to do. And, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't think it made any logical sense. And I voiced my opinion in a way that, was not um, was not diplomatic at all. Okay, and, you just you're like, no, I'm not going to do that, and yeah, yeah. So, so basically, what had happened is he wanted me to that there was uh, it was supposed to be a tag team match, and the ref in the match was supposed to get knocked out, and he wanted me to run out for the end of the match and do the three count, which is some, it's a standard thing. But the, the bad guy tag team in that match had their faces painted. They were called Team Japanada. It was uh, wrestlers called uh, T. Kasaki and uh, Seth Knight. And, and they were, they'd have their faces painted and the guy wanted me to paint like them and as like an artistic standpoint from what i saw sorry it just didn't fit your character no i mean it's i'm a referee i have no character really right. but but the problem with that is if i come down with my face painted like them and there's this fuck finish where they low blow the guy or you know like or, or like hit him with a chair or whatever and the ref's out and then I run and count to three, but my face is painted like them, then all the heat 
goes on to me. Like it looks like I'm in cahoots with these guys when I'm not. I'm supposed to be a referee. I'm supposed to call it down the middle no matter how good or how bad someone is. And, and I just saw that as so illogical and not making sense. And instead of voicing my opinion that way, I, I just called the guy who ran the company a fucking idiot in front of the entire locker room. And, and he was like, well, you don't, if, if you won't do it, you aren't performing on this show. And I was kind of like, good, fuck you. Like, good, I'm done with this company. And I did one more show with them, and it was a fundraiser uh, for a guy's family where the guy died of suicide. He had, like, some mental health issues. Uh, that was the last show that I did for them. And then I've done a couple shows here and there uh, since then. But, I mean, it, ever since then, that's when kind of comedy really became uh, my main focus. And would you say... Uh, with that experience, like, how would you say, if if any, if it in any way, it's um, has it affected uh, your performance on stage, or has it helped at all in terms of the wrestling background and the entertainment side of things? Does it help with crowd work, for example, or? or I, uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm I'm the type of that I I think what I sell is opinions and and i'm never really there to sell an audience on an opinion as much as make them laugh with my opinion so you could believe in the opposite of something that i'm saying and sometimes i'll believe in the opposite of what i'm saying i'm just saying because i think it's funny but i'm not i i wouldn't call myself the wittiest guy in the room so I don't do a lot of crowd work, but where something like professional wrestling did help is, is it really defined uh, my stage presence? Yeah. It, is it, it made me realize how I could end up drawing an audience in and, and pulling them in towards me mm-hmm. or, or even amplifying myself if I need to. So that's why like on stage, I try to be as close to myself as possible, but but just turned up a bit. Absolutely, and I, I like that about you. I think um, that's one of the things I was going to ask you about your stand-up in general is I think where you and I relate in terms of our, our stand-up, uh, like those of you, or for people who don't know you, like uh, you and I are both kind of guys that are, you know, probably a hundred pounds or less soaking wet and, you know, both around the same height kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so, sometimes I, I will try to deliver a joke where it, I think I have some of the similar, like, aggression sometimes, like, I, in terms of how I deliver a joke on stage, because I, I don't want to come across as this soft kind of guy, you know what I mean? I, I like to be loud sometimes and, and like to try to break the mold of, I guess, what you would think would some, somebody or, like, what somebody like me would say on stage. But I, I don't, find... Go ahead. I, I don't see it as aggression, though. Like, e- even when I watch you or, or anyone, say, Toronto, Calgary's kind of a little bit more laid back, Edmonton, though, for sure, 
but Calgary could be, I, I think anywhere that actually really has winter, um, it, it kind of produces an urgency. Mm-hmm. So like, like growing up in Prince George, we get days where it's minus 35 out, you know, like red deers like that as well. Uh, anyone, like if you watch, uh, Kelly Taylor, like Kelly lives out in like Saskatchewan and, you know, I think he lives in like Prince Albert or something, but, but like, he's got like that, that urgency to get there. Whereas like in Vancouver, and I don't, I don't think it's a, someone being soft or whatever, I think, but just having like those winters, you have that urgency. Like I like to call it, uh, like that level of cold. I like to call it Tourette's cold, where like when you open the door to your car, you're just immediately like fucking goddamn, like you just curse. <laughs> like that's yeah. just what you do. And then if someone's like trying to start a conversation with you, you're like, are you trying to start a conversation outside in this cold? Like, what's the matter with you? So it's not aggression it's it's just urgency i really think that's what it is um and and i've had that so i've had people that actually think i'm from out east because i have that kind of attitude but it's like i think a lot of people especially like comedy fans here in vancouver uh who know me and who know other comics on the scene they're so used to what those other comics do and winters are for the most part very mild here so there, there isn't that urgency. It's not to say that people aren't foggy or they don't get to the punchline fast. It's just there's not that, I there's not that attitude of I need to get there. It's right. you know what I mean. And I I think that's the way that I look at it when I watch you, when I watch you know the, quite a few guys from Calgary, from Edmonton, from out east. It's that I don't have time let's get their attitude and mentality uh that that and and you are correct sometimes it is misinterpreted as aggression but i i really don't think that's what it is yeah i think for me like there's definitely a a sense of like you know trimming the fat on your jokes as much as possible and then trying to i think in a sense for me of like trying to get to the punchline right away because i don't want to have somebody be be bored you know or be disinterested when I'm telling a joke but I guess my my question with that was um, because you know you're we're, we're both smaller guys on stage but we're kind of aggressive in the way we tell our jokes uh, is there like because sometimes um, I can you know I've got my jokes about my disability and some of the things I go through and all those sorts of things but then if I tell you know a joke where I get more animated, people are just like taken taken back by the whole, you know, they, they don't expect that from me. And so the the reaction or, or the response in terms of laughter is sometimes subdued or not quite what I was hoping. But I was wondering, like, when it comes to uh, your performance, do you ever find that where people are like, where people don't expect you to have that much uh, emotion or be that be that aggressive they just expect you to have uh, you know maybe maybe a softer tone or those sorts of things or is that kind of one of the things you you, you play with in terms of your personality on stage um I'll play with it a little bit for sure 
but what I what I like to do is I might start a bit more subdued, but I'll still come out swinging with like joke, 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 like trying hit Fongy as fast as possible. Yeah. And and I like I like to build my energy as I go. So like towards the end, like my closing bit right now is is about how how we're making the next generation of people soft. Uh, and it's it's through just the way that society's going and like really parts that I'd like to explore about it is like kind of how litigious society could be partially led to that. But also like, I, I think we live in a day and age where people just don't want to be wrong. It's not about being right. It's about not being wrong. Like, what if I say something that's wrong? Well, then you, you messed up. Like that's, that's all there is to it. Um, and, and I like to kind of play with those notions, but like, as I do that, I will build my energy. And I, I think realistically, like that kind of thing is you either need to come out swinging high energy and, and stick with it throughout the entire time, or you need to build it and slowly ramp up and then kind of ride waves over time. Like, especially if you're doing, if you're on the road doing like an hour you know, there's one of the best things is actually taking a few moments here and there to pull the reins back and let the audience kind of ease back into it uh, rather than just hitting because like I watch comedians who are so good and so funny and I'll watch a crowd run out of steam 40 minutes into a 55 minute set and and it's like if they only pulled back a couple times just to let the audience catch their breath then then the the flow like i'm i'm big on how flow in my act mm. uh i'm i'm also doing it as funny as possible but you know when i ride into one subject i will pull the reins back but i'm still always building my energy and, and I'm constantly trying to set an expectation of what that audience can expect from me. So by the time I'm doing this bit about, you know, how crazy I think the world is getting and how tough it is for this next generation, because we're taking out all the stuff that can make them tough. Like my energy is so, so on it that that the crowd kind of understands where I'm coming from. Like I'm, I, I think that really context is such a key factor in how you react that the second I start reacting that way, people kind of go, oh, it makes sense that this is his reaction to that. Would it be correct to say I like the, if I, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some of your act now and, and would it be correct to say that you kind of, I get the sense that when you perform, you kind of create, and maybe a lot of people do this, but especially I notice kind of with you, is you kind of create uh, a, a mood, right, of how once you talk a little bit about your reaction to uh, one particular instance, then when you go into another bit, 
you've kind of sold that like this would be my reaction to to the next thing because you know you kind of have built exactly. that whole mindset with the audience and now it's more i guess acceptable or not as uh, it doesn't have to be politically correct i guess because they whether or not they understand that it's a character or, or your life in actuality um you you've built some sort of uh, uh, like mood around the show, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. You're absolutely right yeah. in that. And and basically, like I said, it, it's it's establishing that, building upon it, and keeping congruent with it. Yeah. Because um, it's what? like it's like if you're going to take a hard stance on something, and then the next thing you talk about, you're kind of on the fence. Like, people are going to pull back and be like, hold on, what happened to that opinionated person that was talking? You know? Like, you kind of, if you're going to set up an expectation, you know, you, you want to build upon that expectation. Something I, I want to kind of ask you about, uh, because I, I watched a couple of your clips and I've seen you perform a little bit recently and just, just reviewing some of your stuff. Uh, what, um, like I noticed, like in your act, uh, you're, you're not necessarily worried about, uh, maybe not offending people would be the wrong thing, but I, I would say for sure you're not necessarily worried about censoring yourself. So you no, swear no. about it in your act. And, uh, what I was wondering about that is like, uh, a good friend of mine, one of the things he did a, a while back when he was first, uh, doing stand-up, doesn't do it as much anymore now, but when he first started, he uh, reached out to uh, Mike McDonald, and, you know, Mike McDonald is, uh, yep. is, a, is a legend still within uh, Canadian comedy, and uh, he reached out to Mike and ended up setting him, sending him one of his uh, sets, and then uh, later on, him and Mike had, uh, had about, a, you know, an hour, I think, I don't know how long exactly, but they had a phone conversation Maybe, maybe around an hour or something. And one of the things that my friend told me about that conversation that stuck out to him is Mike said, um, if, if, you, uh, if, if your act contains a lot of swearing, uh, then, then per, perhaps you need to figure out, because maybe the, because I guess Mike's thing was like, uh, if, if, you're, if, if the reason you're swearing is just because you're throwing an F-bomb in there to get a laugh, then, then you probably need to, to rewrite the joke. Uh, but what is, what is your sense on, like, um, on, like, why, why you, why you swear in your act and, and what, um, like, how, how do you feel about that? Does that just kind of add to the mood or is there, is there a certain reason? I, I mean, why? like I said, I'm, I'm just trying to be me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to be as close to me as possible. I curse in real life. Right. So why would that change? It's not like I can't do a, a show without cursing. I've, I've done numerous clean shows. Uh, like I can, I can curtail my act to what's needed. I, I've been doing it long enough that, that a lot, and you know, sometimes I'll go out and try out new stuff and misread an audience 
but I'm so focused on working on my new stuff anyways that it's it's like at the end of the day, whatever. Uh, but it, it's like I don't I don't care if people swear or not in their act. Uh, I I think censorship is insane, and I think it really it really means that like people just kind of lack the the insight as to why people are saying what they're saying like like it's like if you're refusing to hear someone out you can't take your stance honestly mm -hmm. uh you know i'm politically i am left wing uh i wouldn't say i'm i'm like hard left wing but i'm i'm left wing and I will listen to people who are on, you know, like right-wing conservative politics. And I think sometimes they make a lot of good points and a lot of sense. And I think it's crazy that like people on the hard left just straight up go, they're crazy, refusing. And, and like, that's how I view censorship is, is like when I look at how people just go like, you can't say that. I go, why not? Like, really, why not? Like, there, there's no good reason why someone can't say something. You might hurt someone's feelings, but when I'm up on stage, I'm never out to hurt anyone. You know, mm -hmm. I'm never actually trying to offend anyone. I, at no and I, I say some stuff that if you just read what I say on paper, without the context of the performance, you would read that and go, why the fuck would anyone say that? That's crazy. Like, how is he not getting punched in the face? How is, but there's this, um, you know, there's this context of a performance behind it and this, it, at least uh, if you weren't there to experience it then taking it out of the context of the show would be would be missing the point of why he said it right sure and sure partially um i mostly act i wouldn't say partially I'd, I'd say mostly so but but like there are things that i'll say just because it's funny and it gets the crowd laughing yeah. uh and and regardless of even if you heard it, you might think, well, that's wrong. And, and I totally understand how someone would get there. You know what I mean? Right. But like, I, I think realistically, when it comes to like cursing in an act, I also try not to do it without reason. Mm -hmm. um, and and I I think nine times out of 10, that advice that Mike McDonald gave your friend, which I've heard people say that over years, not just Mike, other old road vets and that, and it's not, but I would, I would say nine times out of 10, it's correct. I would say there's always that exemption to the rule where, where, you know, a response of of someone going what the fuck are you talking about is the best punchline yeah. for that because it's not 
about the use of that word. It's about who that person is. Um, it's like sometimes, like, like, like using the word "fuck" just explains how crazy. I mean, that's more of a raw emotion, right? Just so if somebody's. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Is is a bit crazy, and that's the that's the correct answer. I mean, I know, and I think. Some, it's it's tough sometimes because I know I, I've I've done a local uh, Shaw TV thing um, back in Medicine Hat and uh, uh-huh. for sure that's really one of the first times where I uh, we weren't sure how everything was going to go because it was the first time they were recording something like that but it, as we were going and doing more episodes they would restrict us in terms of what we could we couldn't say and it was like you know. I definitely like I I it, I guess it would it made me a better writer in the sense that like okay I really like this joke and I want to figure out a way of of telling this joke in a clean way but it did make me realize that uh, you know sometimes if I can include an F bomb or if I can be a little bit more uh, rough around the edges in terms of delivery the the reaction is better just because of the the way I'm delivering it. So, um, that definitely, it's, uh, I think it's because of like the emotion that you're getting across, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, um, in terms of what you've accomplished so far in the 11 years that you've been doing stand up, uh, are there certain things that um, stand out for you right now as far as, uh, accomplishments or, or, or things that, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, Tell me about, you know, something that stands up for you as an accomplishment. And if you want, you know, maybe one of the experiences that isn't necessarily a bad one, but is, is a memorable one that maybe sticks out for you like a crazy, crazy experience on stage. I, I mean, even though I, I came out a little too hard um, in the finals of Stand Up and Bite Me, I mean, making the finals of a national comedy competition like that three years into my comedy career, uh, that, that was huge for me. And, and I'm still very proud of that. Uh, I, I'm proud of my album. And, and it's like, but really, it's all I'm focused on is just being the best comedian I could be. I... All of the career stuff, you know, it, it's nice for, you know, someone to look on paper and go, oh, he did that. So, you know, he he's probably good. But at the end of the day, I mean, no one really cares about any of that because it, it's always going to be what's that performance in that moment. As long as you're proud of the things that you're uh, turning out or that you're accomplishing, then I guess that's. That's the only thing that matters. Uh, yeah, and it, it's like right now I'm at a point where I'm I'm thinking about uh, I'm thinking about how I'm going to record my next album. Um, I'm thinking because not a lot of people have listened to Lambda Mail. It really hasn't. Sorry got- if I said it wrong, by the way. I no, it's fine. It's uh like it's it's a, it's a Greek letter, right? Um, 
like it's just based off of a, a joke that I had where where I said I'm not an alpha male, I'm not a beta male, I'm a lambda male. That's how far down I am. Um that's basically how I got that. And I I just felt that was a great uh example. Like that that title and that joke was a great example of kind of what that album was at the time. Personified you Yeah. And and I mean, changed since then. I've grown as a person, and and I, you know, right now, I mean, right now, like I said, I'm I'm really proud of the act that I have now, and and I'm just, I'm at a point where I'm I'm seriously considering, uh, putting it down as a recording. I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do and how to do it. Um. Uh, so, so like that's that's kind of my focus right now. I'm not really concerned about any sort of comedy competition or any sort of comedy festival or any of that because at the end of the day, that's those aren't really making or breaking people like they used to. Um, it's you know it's a nice thing to put on your resume, but that's about it. Like there are there are so many comics that people don't even know about that make a good living just doing corporate work. They've never been to a comedy festival. They don't really play comedy clubs. They don't all they do is corporate work and they you know, they make bank doing that. Because they don't that, release an album because they don't want their material yeah, they don't want uh they don't want yep. to as public, I guess. That that too. That too. Like, you know, releasing an album staying age, comedy-wise, it puts a lot of pressure on the comedian because people are immediately like, okay, what's next? Right. And so, like, even, even now when I see acts who are fantastic comedians, like, they're, they're great, and, and I see here's their album... And then I watch them and all they're doing is just the same stuff that's on the album. Like even I'm sitting back going like, okay, but like what's next? I want to see what you have next. Like, like I'm, I'm so interested in that. Uh, so, and, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and, and I was going to say like when I recorded Lambda Mail, I was, I was very, uh, bullish on transitioning away from that act and into something new and and it took a few years to have a, a frame for it and then i've just been over like the past four years chipping away at bits and like just really grinding it and i don't really have the opportunities to to take off and work the road constantly week on week so so i can't chip at it at at the speed that i'd like to that would make me a little bit more uh prolific but you know it, it's come together in a way that like uh, a lot of people are you know blown away by certain certain bits where comics will come up to me and tell me their favorite line of the bit and it's always a different line for each comic. Like that makes me really proud of like certain stuff that I'm doing right now. 